This is Blurring the Lines with Adam Bell and Peter Nicolaitis, IT entrepreneurs. Adam and Peter take on the topics of technology, business, life, and the pursuit of happiness and blur them together in the 21st century. Episode 1, Ransomware. In this episode, Adam and Peter start a 10-episode series on Peter's white paper, 10 Critical Steps to Survive a Ransomware Attack, and cover the single most effective thing you can do to secure your computer system, no matter how small or large. Peter, we're going to be talking about 10 Critical Steps to Survive a Ransomware. So I've Uh, been told. I'm looking at a, uh, a a pretty long document here that I believe you wrote. Uh, I, I I did write that. Yes, this is not not commissioned. Um, I didn't uh, have the money to pay Gartner to research this for me or anything. It's all uh, my original work. All right. Well, good. <laughs> so, so yeah, go ahead. Ask. Well, I was going to say, go ahead and uh, kind of give me an overview of of it's a ten step or. 10 critical steps that have to be done. Yep. Kind of give me an overview here. Okay. So what happened, first off, a little background. Uh, as as At the time of, that we're recording this, we are just wrapping up a uh, ransomware recovery for one of my clients. And this is all over the news, not just in the tech sphere, not just in the security space, but in mainstream media. We're seeing hospitals are getting hit left and right. Uh, most recently uh, by a, a particular virus called Locky. And uh, it's a spinoff of something that uh, became, well, more well-known a few years ago, known as Crypto Locker. And um, it uh, collectively, all of these programs are now known as ransomware. And what they do is they encrypt your data. They get onto your system just like any other virus would. Uh, Usually an email attachment or you go to a website that has been compromised, even if you think it's a legitimate website. might be a perfectly harmless Amazon.com or Facebook or eBay uh, or the BBC.UK or America Online or whatnot. You go there, you see an ad that delivers malicious content to your computer completely without you doing anything other than visiting the website. And the next thing you know, your machine has this virus on it. So what does it do? The virus goes onto your system and it looks everywhere throughout the hard drive for data files. So things like Microsoft Word documents, your Excel spreadsheets, uh, pictures, audio, video, PDF documents, everything, any sort of document that you would open with another program, and it encrypts them. And these programs use AES encryption. It's fancy fancy words to mean if you don't have the password, it's almost impossible, if not completely impossible, to get your data back, period. So you have a couple of choices. Either you uh, restore all your data from a backup, assuming you have one, or you pay the ransom to the criminals. And the criminals now are almost always demanding payment in Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a relatively new currency. It's uh, it's a virtual currency. It's online. And uh, it is pretty much uh, untraceable. 
which uh, makes it the ideal delivery mechanism for this. Now, personally, I think it's a cool concept and it's great. Uh, I know some people don't like it because criminals are using it, but I don't think that that doesn't make Bitcoin bad, in my opinion. Um, but anyway, we should, we should talk about that sometime. We, I think Bit- we will. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Bitcoin uh, is uh, how they collect their ransom. So once you pay the ransom, um, assuming you're dealing with an honorable criminal, <clears throat> and the irony of that is not lost upon me, believe me, uh, then they send you back a little utility with which to decrypt your data files and you get everything back and life is good again. Um, that's the not, I wouldn't say that's the ideal circumstance, but that's a, you know, a better circumstance than you shut down your company completely because you have no more documents and you can't do any business. So because of, uh, these incidents that we're, we're working with and I'm reading about all over the place, I said, all right, I got to do something and I'm going to write up this report and, uh, basically distribute it as a a white paper and as a series of blog posts. And now with you as a series of podcasts. Mm -hmm. So, so, um, there's a lot that needs to be done to survive a ransomware attack, um, and what we're going to talk about first are the things that you should be doing in preparation beforehand. So the things that you can do to hopefully stave off this attack so that you don't get bitten in the first place. And as we progress, they're going to get a little trickier. The things that I recommend will be a little more involved. Um, if you're not a super technical person, that's okay. You'll likely have to get your IT or your IT security people involved in this with you, and that's okay. Doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Um, But um, we'll start off with some simple things, some user behavior things, and uh, work up the the chain. And if you go through and you do all of these 10 steps, you're about as ransomware proof as you can get. I will never say that you are 100% perfectly protected. That's, that's, that's not possible. Um, but you will at least have done everything possible and put yourself in the best position that you could have. Well, I'm, I'm looking here and there may be a, a PS to your list. Um, because I've get, I've gotten asked by users, um, why didn't my antivirus catch this? Why didn't my antivirus catch this? Well, let's start with that. Um, first off, most antivirus programs today are what are what we call signature based what that means is they find bad programs that match a certain pattern or have a certain signature and uh, a signature it's just a, a, a an indicator of who it is as the name implies so a specific virus like the locky virus uh, the the ransomware program for instance may have a certain file name or it may have a certain file structure and your antivirus essentially when you try to download this program your antivirus looks at it and says oh this looks like the locky ransomware i don't think you should be running this i am going to quarantine the file now that's again in a near ideal world ideally the file would never have gotten to your machine in the first place but under the next best situation, your antivirus says, okay, I've, I've recognized this and I've stopped it. Here's the problem. If I am a smart criminal and a smart uh, you know, computer hacker, I will just make a minor little tweak 
to that file that I'm sending you and all these other people. So it now looks and acts ever so slightly differently from the previous one. So that means that the signature has now changed. It no longer matches and therefore antivirus doesn't detect it anymore. And what we have is a cat and mouse game. Antivirus companies like Symantec, Sophos, uh, Intel Security, known, formerly known as McAfee, uh, all these companies, they all use the same basic ideas. They use virus signatures and they're updated constantly. But uh, the problem is that it's a cat and mouse game and the bad guys are constantly changing their viruses. So there's always a chance that your antivirus doesn't yet know about the latest incarnation of a virus, including ransomware, and it will slip by. So that's one reason. Without getting a lot more technical, there are also many other um, antivirus evasion techniques that the bad guys use. So as a result of that, a lot of my colleagues in the security uh, sphere will say things which I do not like, uh, such as, antivirus is dead. Yeah. And I I even heard yesterday on a very popular security podcast, one of the co-hosts says, oh, you don't even need antivirus. It doesn't do you any good. And that's not true. Um, It doesn't do as much good as it used to. But it still does catch some stuff. And sometimes it, you know, it catches a lot of stuff. Um, but on the flip side, a lot of stuff still gets through. So you still need antivirus, but you can't count on that as the be-all and end-all of security. It is only one small but important component in a complete security solution. It's sort of like saying um, airbags. And you can think of anti uh, antivirus is like not even better. Antivirus is like having anti-lock brakes on your car. It's an important safety feature. But just because you have anti-lock brakes does not mean you rip out the airbags and never fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> okay, it doesn't mean that you design the car without crumple zones or shatterproof glass. Those are all different safety components that you have to compile into one to have an effective product. And likewise, antivirus is not, you know, it's not the the uh, the alpha and the omega. Mm-hmm. Well, and and also the other tricky part about ransomware and viruses in general, the virus is getting the computer to do something that it is allowed to do. Yes. You know, it is allowed to encrypt files. Mm-hmm. If we don't allow the computer to encrypt files ever, then we can never <laughs> secure files. You know, yeah. if, we, if we take away the ability to copy it or market read only or do the things with the files, we're stopping the computer from functioning. Yep. That's what makes it so difficult for us to protect against every single virus that's out there. Exactly. It's do it, you know. It's doing what it's allowed to do. Yeah, and and it's what what the computer is allowed to do, and what the user account on the system is allowed to do. Mm-hmm. So, and that gets us into point number one. So, mm-hmm. out of the ten steps, the first one that I'm going to talk about is uh, how to restrict your administrative rights on your system, and this means both on your local computer and uh, on the network overall. So one of the biggest um, principles of security is the principle of least privilege. 
And this goes way beyond just computers. We're not talking about computers security in general. We're talking about all aspects of security, uh, whether it's physical security or financial security. So here, I'll give you a couple of examples that any business owner should immediately resonate with. Um, you hire a new employee. New employee is uh, going to say, say this is a front desk person, okay? Does the front desk person have a master key to open any door in the building, open any lock in the building in the entire facility? Well, unless you have only one door and, you know, you're a small <laughs> shop and that person opens up, you know, probably not. Another thing, uh, let's, let's say it was financial security. Uh, you just hired this new person, low-level intern, brand new person. Do they get access to the corporate checking account? No. Probably not. Why? Because they don't need it. Okay. <laughs> who does? Well, the people who do need it are people like your CFO, people like the CEO or the owner. Those are the ones who get access to those things. Um, but those who don't require it don't get it. It's really quite simple. The problem is that on computers, for some reason, uh, we have been, a lot of people are, are conditioned to think that they need to have full on unrestricted access to their computers. We see this a lot with business owners. They're like, well, I own the system. It's mine. It's my computer. So of course I should be an administrator. And that's not really the case because administrative rights means that you have full access to do anything to your computer, okay? So in general, what this means is you can make changes, you can add and remove files, you can delete files, you can add and remove users, you can install and remove software. So the problem is software includes all software, and that includes malicious software like viruses and ransomware. So by extension, if you have the ability to install software, you now have the ability to install bad software. <laughs> a lot of people tell me, they're like, oh, well, I would never install bad software. And I say, yeah, <laughs> I know you probably wouldn't intentionally yeah, install bad purpose. software. Yeah, you're not going to try to go ahead and shoot yourself in the foot. But the problem is these things disguise themselves to look like normal good programs, and they also are written in such a way so as to run when you you don't even think they are programs at all. Like you may think you're opening a Microsoft Word document that somebody emailed to you, and it may either not be a Word document, or it may be a Word document that contains macros, or in other words, programming to do all these same bad things that a bad program would do. So by restricting yourself and dropping your administrative rights, you lose the ability to do serious damage to the entire system. Now, here's the trick. Um, a ransomware program, like you said, uh, a virus can still access files that you normally have access to. So if you have all of your stuff in, say, your My Documents folder or on a network share on the server that you normally do have access to, the virus, because it's running as you, also has those same permissions, so it can still access them. We'll get into how to mitigate that risk in a you know a future episode. But essentially, you don't need full-on administrative rights over your system to do your day-to-day -day job unless your day-to-day -day job is system administrator. 
Now, here's the thing. Even system administrators, I have seen time and time again where people who are like, oh, I'm the new, I'm the new sysadmin here. Um, yep, I, I need to have full rights to the whole system. Uh, they run as a complete administrator over the system, even when they're doing things like surfing the web and checking their email. This is a terrible, terrible idea because literally with one click of either the wrong attachment or visiting the wrong website can cripple the entire network. Literally, I'm not making this up. You can just, you install the wrong thing, you double click the wrong thing, and then suddenly the virus goes on and it connects to everything on the network that it possibly can. And since you are the full-on system administrator, everything that it can connect to is literally everything on the network. And the next thing you know, every computer, every document on every system, on every hard drive has been locked down and you are out of luck. So even if you are a system administrator, you should not be running with system admin rights with what's also known as elevated privileges all the time. It's just a really bad idea. So that's that's my spiel. Now, I know you probably get some feedback and some, some pushback on this, right, Adam? Yeah, I do. And some of the smaller companies and some of the branch offices, uh, you know, they kind of object to losing the admin password mm -hmm. and but they don't always have to lose the admin password so there's there's a couple things we do uh, so in a branch office you know not every employee needs the administrator password mm -hmm. so we usually have a point of contact there a local point of contact so if they actually do need to install something they contact the point of contact they come in type in the administrator password and and they move on right you know and it is a lot better since Windows 7 mm -hmm. uh, to be able to install things without actually being the administrator. Right. XP made a good hack at it, but <laughs> it didn't quite work I out. I think you're thinking of Vista, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, <laughs> XP, XP tried to allow the... You, well, know, you could do the run as, but but um, universal uh, uh, account UAC, control, UAC yeah. was in, introduced in Vista, and it was horribly implemented. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, but I, I love UAC as a... As a overall function, yep. But but yeah. So the you know and small business owners who like well they may be their own administrator mm -hmm. because they don't you know they don't always want to call us to do every single thing. Mm -hmm. They can do like what you said. Install you know have a local administrator password. They know what it is. We can tell it to them. It yep. is their equipment. Mm -hmm. They should know you know. We yep. I've run into other IT cup. IT companies who kind of hold the administrator password away from the owners of the company mm -hmm. to protect themselves. I totally don't agree with that. Yep. Uh, they well, should have it. It's their stuff. Right. So not running as administrator. Exactly. So let's take a step back. So so what you're describing is uh, a separate account that has the ability to do these software installs when needed. And that's that, right? So that's what we recommend for our, our clients as well. Um, often, you know, the office administrator for, for some reason, and I'm not talking about the Microsoft administrator, I'm talking about the, you know, the, the person who sits at the front desk perhaps, uh, gets tasked with being the computer person on site mm -hmm. as well. And so what we do is, okay, like, so this, let's say her name is Alice. So Alice is the local, you know, point of contact for things. Um, Alice has an account on the system called Alice, but she also has a second account on the system called Alice Admin. Mm -hmm. And the Alice Admin user cannot be used to read email. 
It is not used to surf the web. It is used for one thing and one thing only, and that is installing new software. And that's it. So, I mean, preferably all your IT needs are met by a a, a competent IT provider. Obviously, now we're a little bit biased in this, that we are IT providers. But I always like to say, um, would you hire yourself to manage somebody else's network? (laughs) <laughs> would you feel comfortable with someone else hiring you to run their network? And if the answer is anything short of, hell yeah, <laughs> you should not be doing it. <laughs> okay? Just like you shouldn't be doing your own uh, tracheotomy. <laughs> you know, it's something you want to have someone else do. So um, I know a lot of people think that, um, oh, well, it's not that bad. It's just, I'm just clicking some buttons. That's all there is to install software. Uh, maybe, but knowing what software is actually needed, making sure it's the right software, doing it properly, making sure it's not malware, making sure it's not going to conflict with the other programs. There's a lot that goes into getting it right. So for that reason, you know, doing your installation and doing your administrative tasks, adding and removing users, adding and removing new hardware, adding and removing new computers, these functions should all be done by someone with admin rights, but only when they need them, not all the time. So again, the principle of least privilege and also a uh, principle of, uh, is known as need to know. Meaning, yes, you do have ad, uh, access to this information or these these privileges, but only when you need them. Mm-hmm. You know, this information and this and these rights are provided on an as-needed or a need-to-know basis, and that's that's me. I don't run around uh, logging into my own computer network at home or at at the office with a domain administrator account. When I need to do something that requires administrative rights, I either get a Windows UAC prompt, same thing on Macintosh, you get prompted to enter your password, and then you're allowed to, pr- to proceed. And that's the best thing you can do to you know, save, save yourself from catastrophe. And if you don't believe me, in 2011, uh, there was a report from Beyond Trust that showed that 100% of Microsoft Office and Internet Explorer vulnerabilities would have been mitigated by eliminating administrative rights. (laughs) And we have seen subsequent reports from Verizon, Symantec, and other big security firms every year with problems basically being mitigated in the high 90 percentile by just not running as an admin. So you really can't argue with those numbers. You know, it maybe it takes you a few seconds, even a couple of extra minutes to install stuff, you know, to to do this switch to become an admin. But given a choice between that and days or weeks of your business being completely shut down, I'll take that small inconvenience of entering a different administrator password any day. Oh, yeah. All right. So unless you have any other questions, that pretty much sums up my uh, my uh, point number one on dropping administrative rights. Yeah, and I think so. Cool. Good talking with you as always. Yes, sir. <laughs> to contact either us or our guests, visit BlurringTheLinesPodcast.com. If you like what you're hearing, do us a solid and subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review in iTunes, Google Play Store, or wherever you found us.